Project and uh, this is uh, Donnie Sturges hailing from the Sturges compound in Virginia. Um, my uh, my counterpart Rob is currently away from keyboard at the moment. Uh, he's kind of busy at the moment, but he will be joining us later in the show. Um, but uh, we definitely have a we have a full plate for uh, for guests tonight, so that'll they'll definitely compensate for the absence of Rob. Um, first of all, I want to introduce uh, uh, Jackie Giorgiani. Uh, for those of you, uh, you might already know her from the Jersey Ghouls, which is a popular horror podcast that she does uh, with her friend Marissa Pona, I believe is her last name. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so, uh, hello, Jackie. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. This has been, this is, this is one of those like long time listener, first time caller situations for me. So I am super excited that, uh, well, I should, I shouldn't even say that. I shouldn't say that I'm super excited that you asked me to be on. What really happened, here's like the peek behind the curtain. I think it was after episode one or two. I messaged you guys and I said, hey, you're going to do an episode on Ghostbusters and I'm going to be the guest. So <laughs> yes. thank you for heeding my demands. I, well, it's, it's it's hard not to. I mean, we we met you and Marissa at one of the Camp Blood events. You 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 both came to, to kind of uh, check out the, the, the event, see how it went, do a, do a podcast on it. And so you kind of won our hearts. So it was at that point where I was like, you could tell me to eat a shit sandwich and I'd probably do it. <laughs> um, but I mean, I'd, I'd insist that I at least put like some pepper on it just to kind of throw off the flavor a bit. But, you know, um, but no, thank you for being on and thank you for, for, for bringing your expertise uh, from, you know, I'm, I'm excited to talk about everything that we're passionate about because I know you're a huge Ghostbusters fan like me and, uh, and our other guest, which a returning champion, uh, Mary Engelhart. Hello. Thank you. It's good to be back. I have to say I'm laughing at Jackie's story because I'm pretty sure that exact same thing happened on my end, Jackie, where they said, we're doing a Ghostbusters episode. And I was like, uh, who's the guest? Because I would love to be a part of that and kind of just muscled my way in here. So yeah, that's what we got to do. We have to do, yeah, you know, exactly. down, down with the patriarchy, right? We got to. Yeah. <laughs> well, when they told me it was going to be you, I was like, you know what? That's okay. I trust her. She'll do it justice. <laughs> no, I am super excited that you're here because I figure I was laughing to myself as I'm pouring my beverage to start. 
right before we started recording and I'm laughing because obviously you're you're bourbon Mary from time to time (laughs) and me me who doesn't very drink very often I'm like so does that make me crystal light Jackie like that just doesn't have the same (laughs) ring to it like there's no like machismo behind crystal light Jackie like you're coming strong like bourbon Mary and I'm like I've got five calories so you know what like it's just it's a different vibe in my end yeah I have to say crystal light Jackie sounds like the worst stripper name ever I know I am definitely like Tuesday afternoon B team like that's I can't I can't compete with with Saturday night bourbon Mary yeah I mean I don't know bourbon Mary is probably more like Sunday morning (laughs) Like, when everyone's given up and already ashamed of themselves. She just lights up that Paul Mall and she's like, let's do this. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm ready to go, fellas. <laughs> so I just realized I don't need to be a part of the show. You two are strong enough to run it by yourself. So I'm going to go. Uh, that, that exchange alone was fucking gold, man. Fried gold served on a, on a silver platter. Shit. I don't know how I'm going to pe- compete with this. Um, but yeah, no, you guys are both right. Um, you guys pretty much uh, demanded that we bring you on, and Rob and I are pushovers, so we we don't, you know, we 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 scare easily. So it's like, oh shit, yeah, oh no problem. Um, but also, uh, Joey, also uh, Joey Petten, uh, the the guy who runs the Camp Blood stuff uh, with Dark Hills Gaming, also uh, had a, a basically was championing for you guys. He's like, you know, just to have a an equal and opposite female. Uh, presence on the show, of course, with Rob uh, ducking out for about half the episode. It's it's two against one, so I'm and I clearly am already like way out of my depth. So <laughs> I'm just gonna hang on for dear life and hope I make it to the end of the show. Because God, you guys are amazing already. Holy shit! So, but uh, but I'm glad you guys are both here. Um, you guys are both amazing, Mary. You're one of my favorite people, and and a fellow geek, and uh, and Jackie, you as well. Um, so tonight, guys, we're going to dive into, we're going to try to, we're going to dive into the Ghostbusters franchise, a, a franchise that is like, once again, coming back up into the height of its popularity. It was huge. It was, it was, it was a movie that was lightning in a bottle when it first came out. It's had other installments and other, other things have happened in, in the history of, of the franchise's life that have been good or bad, depending on your point of view. It's, it's definitely had some miss, uh, misfires and here and there. Um, but we're going to try to talk about as much of that as possible. Uh, this is, we're just going to geek out and you guys are going to see the aftermath of all that. I mean, you're, you're going to be there for the, for the, uh, for the big ball of disaster that this podcast is going to be as we just all just turn into huge geeks and just fall apart. Um, but, um, just, uh, and I'm not really going to go into facts all that much because most people, if you're listening to this podcast, you kind of probably already know Ghostbusters. I mean, came out in 1984, Written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis, uh, based off of an original script that had them dealing with the, you know, basically a Ghostbusters of the future, where the franchise was basically multiple Ghostbuster teams running around catching ghosts. A little bit too ambitious of a, of a thing, so Reitman helped them pare it down into what you see in the film. Um, great movie, great soundtrack by Elmer Bernstein. Bernstein. Um, a great cast of characters. Um, just, it, and it's, you know, it, it's, it's timeless. It still holds up today. Um, it's an amazing film. Um, and so let's just open it up. I mean, uh, I'll, uh, you know what? Let's give it, let's give it to Jackie. You start with, you know, the first time you ever saw Ghostbusters and basically the impact that it had on you. So I 
I'm a little bit younger than you. I was born in 1981. So when original Ghostbusters came out, I was only three. I have no memory of the original Ghostbusters coming out. Um, I have an older brother, six years older than me, who, when it came out, he was a big fan of Ghostbusters. So somewhere in between when the original came out and in 89 when two came out, I was I was introduced to it and instantly I remember falling in love with it. Also realize having an older brother, everything that he liked, I liked. So it didn't it did not matter what Daryl Strawberry was his favorite baseball player. <laughs> so Daryl Strawberry was my favorite baseball player. Like if he was into a certain type of music, like he loved who was it? Van Halen. So I love Van Halen. I had zero uh what's the word like um awareness of what my own likes were if brian liked it then i liked it so brian liked ghostbusters so i liked ghostbusters but then i truly did become a fan of 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 the movie i I would eat it up all the time with you know the original movie comes out and i remember at a talent show he and his friends did like a ghostbusters skit and he was slimer and he got to throw green streamers at people and like I was just like enthralled by it. So I definitely was an influence of my older brother. And then it kind of became became my thing. And then I do remember I have a very, which I'll get to it when we get to part two, but I have a very vivid memory of seeing part two in the theater. So that's a lot of influence uh, from my brother. And then, yeah, that's that's where the Ghostbusters thing started for me. Sweet. that That's a good that's a good opener. Um, Mary, what about you? Well, yeah, Mary, what about you? I don't know why I said, well, yeah, that was weird, but Mary go. (laughs) Well, uh, interestingly enough, I think my, my similar, uh, I have a similar experience in that I am also a little younger, also have older brothers and sisters. So a lot of what I got introduced to in, you know, geekery comes from them. And there are a lot of things that I remember as being childhood staples of mine that might've been a little bit outside of my generation or timeframe. So when I, I remember seeing Ghostbusters for the first time, and I actually remember, so this might come as a surprise to people, I was a gigantic scaredy cat as a kid. I didn't like scary movies. I didn't like roller coasters. Wow. I didn't like anything. Yeah, I was a huge scaredy cat. I was afraid of the dark. I think I blame it now on the fact that I have a super overactive imagination. Sure. So it was one of those rip the bandaid off situations <laughs> that as soon as I started to go on roller coasters and watch scary movies and enjoy it it was like oh these aren't nearly as bad as i had imagined them to be like i built them up in my mind um so ghostbusters was the first it was there it was my brothers and sisters way of introducing me to a scary movie that wasn't scary it took that concept of ghosts and scary things and threw them in a a comedic less serious it's hard to be terrified of something when bill murray is just (laughs) blasé and cracking wise the whole time and so Ghostbusters to me is kind of, I, I know it's not really horror, but it's my introduction to that because it was what showed me what, how you can play around with those concepts, how you can be scary, but also funny. And that kind of helped relieve some of the tension for me and break the ice. So Ghostbusters is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. And then I actually have to add Ghostbusters 2, I found to be way more terrifying as a kid. Really? And that, we can get into that when we talk about Oh yeah, Vigo. Yeah, Vigo is a very scary man, and when you are like nine or ten and watching Vigo, he is upsetting. I, I can't <laughs> wait to get into that when we get to the movie. Then that's yeah. you know it's that's a good point too, though, because I I think for the most part, 
a lot of people consider Ghostbusters to be a comedy or comedy horror. Um, and I think what it is, is I, I, I don't, I think it's legitimate to consider Ghostbusters kind of a, I wouldn't say downright horror, but it's definitely a scary film because the, the scares are played straight. The scares are played straight. It's the reactions from the characters that are played for laughs. And I think that's, that, that's the, that's the, like the difference, like the whole movie isn't played to be a comedy. It's played to be a, a, a serious picture but your characters are basically, it's almost like Abbott and Costello, uh, you know, meet Frankenstein. Like the monsters are playing it up serious, but it's Abbott and Costello's reactions that make it funny. Um, I still, I would consider Abbott and Costello a horror film with comedy in it, uh, comedy elements. And I think uh, Ghostbusters are very similar. So I, I totally agree with you on that one. I think, and I, you're right. It's like Monster Squad uh, and Ghostbusters and stuff like that. Those are really great introductions for people who aren't quite, into horror who want to get into horror like it's it's there there it's a good training wheels film for that sort of thing now you um back in my day you little whippersnappers uh <laughs> since i was born in 1975 um i was um i was about nine or ten uh when ghostbusters came out i didn't get to see it in theaters because i came from a poor family so we didn't get to go to the theater very often so my experience with ghostbusters for the first time was when we finally were able to afford a VCR, it was one of the first movies that we rented from the video store uh, when video stores first started becoming a thing. And that was back when, like, you didn't have actual video stores. Your suit, your local supermarket had a video section um, that was basically in a corner of the supermarket. And you'd go over there <clears throat> and you'd grab a, a VHS tape off the wall and you'd take it over to the, uh, uh, to the office or whatever. And that's where you'd pay for it or rent it or whatever. So... Uh, so my first experience with Ghostbusters was watching it on VHS uh, for the first time, and I absolutely loved it. Everything about it. Did did a lot of the jokes go over my head? Sure they did. But the rest of it was just, and it just, it, again, like I said before, lightning in a bottle. Everything about this movie, there's nothing about this movie that should have worked. Um, you know, you're lucky that you had a good writing team with, with Aykroyd and Ramis. I mean, obviously, Ramis and Murray had already done uh, wonders with Stripes earlier um in uh you know a couple years earlier and stuff so i mean you had a good writing team you had some good talent but the plot like the just like especially with, since it was plagued with so many issues going in it's really surprising that the movie was as good as it was especially you know with with all the stuff that dan because dan Aykroyd, if you've talked if you've seen him in, in interviews and stuff the man's all over the place when it comes with ideas like he like he thinks way too big and you definitely have to pare stuff down you want to see dan Aykroyd unfettered watch nothing but trouble that movie is that movie is Dan Aykroyd when <laughs> nobody is there to call him back and, and like like rein him in on his leash. It's 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 not as bad a film as people think, but it is a mess. No, um, I love it. I just watched it like I think maybe like a month ago. I was kind yeah. of flipping through and I saw it on it was I think it might have been free on Vudu and I was like, "Oh, this movie. I love Nothing But Trouble." It was it was free on Prime uh right around the same time cuz I rewatched it again. It's it's a very ambitious film. It's a fun film, but it really is a mess. And it's it's just because again, Dan Aykroyd was a director. He was the writer. He had and basically nobody. He was just like, I'm just going to do everything. If you there's a documentary, or a, or, a, or a, I think a YouTube video on it uh, describing just the fact that Dan Aykroyd just got away with everything. Dan Aykroyd was like, I want a roller coaster in this movie, and they're like, Okay, we're going to put a <laughs> roller coaster in this movie. Like it's just ridiculous. But. I do think, though, that that is kind of Dan Aykroyd's charm. He is a fun oh, mess. Yeah. Like, and that's kind of... But I think he, because he's likable, he creates likable sure. characters. So it's 
it, you're you're willing to overlook. It's he he almost he makes you go. I like him so much. I'm willing to suspend disbelief and not right. criticize it as much because it's right. fun. He's that guy at the yeah. party. You know he, <laughs> he really is Ray Stance. He really is the heart of the Ghostbusters. He really is the guy that gets overexcited. And he, he is the guy that goes, oh, my God, have you tried this pole? Oh, we got to stay here and try it out. Like, that's that's really who Dan Eckert is in real life. Like, he didn't play far from, from who he is in that role. Uh, which, again, I think that's one of the reasons why Ghostbusters is as good as it is because – each of those characters is very much like their actor counterpart. Um, you know, Harry Ramis is more quiet, the more laid back guy. Um, you know, Bill Murray's Bill Murray. I mean, you know. um. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's, it's, it's such a great film. And, uh, and uh, the, it's, again, despite some of the, like some of the early stages of the film, cause I mean, I know early on the original plan was to have Eddie Murphy play the Winston role um, and of course, once I'm actually, I'm actually really glad they didn't go with that. I know that sounds bad, and then not that I'm sure Eddie Murphy wouldn't have done something amazing with it. But I feel like the guy that they did choose for Winston, I ended up loving more, mainly because he played it so very like, I, so very straight compared to everybody else. I think Eddie Murphy would have just been too much of a of a wacky. I don't know if wacky is the no, right word right. for it. You're right, but you no, have. Ernie Hudson is definitely the straight man right. to. To the uh, to the other three, and wasn't um John Candy supposed to have the role that Rick Moranis had? Yes, John Candy was supposed to play uh, Lewis Tully, but John Candy couldn't quite quite grasp the role. If I remember correctly, in interviews, he couldn't quite grasp how the like what they wanted him to do with the role. So he kept trying to do it with different accents. Like he's like, "I'll do it as a Polish guy. I'll do it as this guy." And they're like, "No, no, no, we don't want that. We don't want that. We just want this." And he's like, "All right, I'll do it with this accent." And they're like, "Oh no, that's this." Yeah, he. He wasn't quite. I feel like that role is made oh, for the greatness. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah, like I said, the, I think you're right. The if you, throwing Eddie Murphy into Ghostbusters, you would have now had three big personalities. You would have had Aykroyd, Murray, and 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 Murphy all vying for, uh, uh, you know, basically for screen time, all vying for the spotlight, and that would have just been nuts. I mean, Aykroyd would have. Aykroyd has the sense to kind of pull back when he needs to. But you would have had Murray and you would have had Murphy, and it just it, I think the heads would have been butted because Murphy had does have a hard time working with people sometimes, especially when you know uh, when when it's when somebody also vying for the same amount of, of spotlight that Bill Murray does. Um, the only downside to it is that when uh, Eddie Murphy was no longer considered for the role and Ernie Hudson was, they pared down the role so much because because uh, uh, Winston was kind of supposed to be in there from the very beginning. And then with the whole rewrite and everything, they pared it down so he didn't even show up until like what a half an hour into the film or almost halfway into the film. Um, but you're right, the the Winston character is great because he's kind of he's kind of the the viewer surrogate in a way. He's kind of like we come in and he's like we kind of see it through his eyes because he's the he's the the blue collar working guy. He's the guy that you know is kind of grounded. He doesn't see all this you know. He's just like you know what I'm superstitious. I believe shit. I don't care. You know he's. But you're right. He he's a, he's a good straight man. Um, he definitely brings the uh, he brings the groundedness to the to the to the film when it needs to be done. One of the best scenes is you've got him and and Dan Aykroyd, which they pair up really really well. The the scene where they're in the the Ecto one, they're driving at night, and these two different ideologies. You have the scientist who doesn't believe in God at all, and then you have this God fearing man who basically just is is like you know all this stuff is real. And which is funny because they've already seen that all this shit is real anyway, 
you know, it's it's funny that Ackroyd uh, is still kind of in disbelief that there are any any kind of gods with everything that they've just seen. Um, but I love that whole just the the conversation between the two of them, just seeing these two different ideologies, and just seeing this 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 weight that uh, this gravitas that um, uh, that uh, Winston brings to it when he's just like just out of nowhere, like like he says it like you almost believe him, you know, even if you're an atheist, like you almost believe him. he's like he's like Ray. Don't you think that maybe the reason why you know we've been so busy lately is because the dead have been rising from the grave? And at that point, you're like, oh my god, God is real. Oh my, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> it's uh, yeah. Uh, and I I met Ernie Hudson, and Ernie Hudson is so passionate about Ghostbusters and the role. Um, you know, he's he's he's, you know, he, he's almost about as passionate as as um, Dan Aykroyd is. It's it's really really cool. Ooh. I, I think that's uh, what I think is funny is that I, I, again, as I grew up, I learned to like different Ghostbusters for different reasons. And again, I, I love all of the Ghostbusters, but like as a kid, I loved Egon. Egon was sure. always my favorite just cause yeah. And, and then as I, you know, as I got to be like a teenager, of course, Vankman, how do you not love Vankman? Like he's just, he's hilarious. He's like, clever. He's all of those things. And then you start to really, again, Spangler is always likable. Like, or not Spangler. Stance. Um, Stance. Uh, Stance is always, yeah. Stance is always likable. You can't not like Dan Aykroyd, even as a kid. He's just is that character in the background that you learn to appreciate as you get a little older. But then now that I'm an adult, Winston is my favorite one. And I think it's because I watch it. Not only is he the viewer surrogate, but he brings this. The other guys know what they're getting into. They have these theories. They have these. They kind of threw themselves into it. He shows up for a paycheck. But then, yeah. But then when he sticks around and you realize how much they need him. Not just because because he right. grounds them and because in all those situations where Stance is running around with his crazy scientific theories, Venkman's just trying to look cool. Yeah, like Egon's got the like theoretical backing and he's like, I know what's happening. I just don't know how to deal with it. The one that usually ends up going, hey, we have to deal with it is Winston. Winston's the practical one that's like, okay, cool. So everything's breaking down. How are we right. going to fix it kind of situation? No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, and it's funny because you're right. Like when I, as a kid... I liked Bill Murray. I liked Venkman because Venkman was the funny guy. He was the, you know, he's the car salesman of the group. You know, he's the, he's the smarmy kind of smart aleck guy. He's the shyster, uh, but he's got that charm. Um, granted, I loved, I loved Egon and I love, well, Egon was my least favorite one because I had no idea who Harold Ramis was growing up. I was like, who is, I've never seen this guy before. I hadn't seen Stripe shit at that point. I was 10. Um, so, but I knew Dan Aykroyd. I knew I'd seen him from Saturday Night Live. I'd seen him from other things. So, you know, he Ray Stance is always my second favorite. But as you get older, you start to see things a little differently. And of course, I still love Venkman, but Venkman is not. He's a, he's like well, no. He's the reason I didn't like him as a kid is because Venkman is mean. In my head, as a kid, I always thought Venkman's mean, and I liked stance but i liked egon because egon was never mean he was always kind of sure. smart and seemed like he knew what was going on and just he'd never see like vankman i didn't like as a kid because i he's, thought he was he's mean. also very creepy because if he's like the first thing he like, does when you first meet him he's trying to hit him. he's lying and he's and he's like he's giving electric shocks to this other geek because you know he's trying to impress this girl and you're just like mm, this Venkman's got some problems. And then, you know, now granted, you know, after revisiting the movie several hundred, you know, because at first I was like, you know, because who brings Thorazine to a date? <laughs> Just randomly. <laughs> granted, that's, there, there's some red flags with Venkman going on. Who brings Thorazine to like, granted, he needed it at the time because she was a demon dog, but 
the fact that like he had no idea that that was going to happen. So what was the Thorazine? Not just not just that. Not just bringing Thorazine, but that <laughs> much Thorazine because he said he hit her with like a yeah. ridiculous. And you're like, how are you dealing yeah, this stuff right? on the street? Thing? So you're kind of like, wait a second. But at the same time, um, there there's a middle road here because I think I think Venkman does it's it's subtle and it's not as 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 um. It's not as it's not as robust, but there is a character arc for Venkman because you see him, especially when he gets to the part where he's talking to Dana outside the 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 Philharmonic where she where she's practicing or whatever, and he actually actually is kind of nice. He basically like he kind of calms down after that first incident when because that first when he goes to her apartment, he is on creep factor eleven. Like he is just uncomfortably like awful as he's trying to hit on her and move on her. Like he is just being way too. Like it's almost like she needs a rape whistle at this point. Like it's 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 really creepy. Like like she has to push him out of the apartment, and he's still like trying to you know trying to throw on the the slimy charm. Um, but when 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 you get to the part where he meets her outside of, of where she's rehearsing, and whether it's a line or not, but you almost kind of see a reverence to him. You almost see like okay, he's starting to kind of come around, and maybe there's something cool to him. Maybe he's not as bad as he thinks. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a front he puts on because that's how he thinks that he can get the girls. But now that he sees Dana is so like, yeah, you you can't pull that shit on me. He's like, all right, I can kind of be me a little bit more. I can kind of. But then the whole Thorazine thing happens. You're like, what the fuck? But but again, when you get when you get to the part where the you know at the very end when you know when he thinks that she's dead, like that clearly he's he's moved. Clearly he's hit by that. Um. So I'm, I mean, I'm... oh, go ahead. Oh, I was say I'm I'm happy with where they took his character in the second one. They made him much less yes. con artisty, much right. less aggressive in the second one. So I am I agree. Like he had that arc and I'm glad they didn't revert back to anything when it got to part two. Although uh, well, there's still a little bit of left over because you know the whole world of the psychic thing. Because at that point he's still kind of like you know just scamming people, but now he's scamming people on TV. You know, and and stuff. But you're right. Like he he comes around a, a lot quicker. And of course, the introduction of Oscar, even though that's a that's the introduction of a baby to a sequel is 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 kind of a, a an overplayed bad movie trope. But in this case, the introduction of Oscar I think helps in a lot of ways because it helps Bankman kind of go, oh shit, I've got to be responsible. I've got to be kind of. But even then, he still it's it's more cute. But then again, you also have the the animated series to thank for that as well, because a lot of characters got a bunch of tweaks because of the animated series in that second film. Um, well, even in the first one, though, like with with women, Venkman is decidedly creepy, and I think that's you know just kind of the the way that and the arc does right. change, like you said with with Dana. But um, just in general, though, throughout the movie, they show you Venkman's not a bad guy necessarily he's the unwitting right. hero i mean here's the thing he is the reason why the ghostbusters begin it's because he's scamming he thinks That's he's scamming true. people but the difference is is that when they actually start catching ghosts venkman puts it on the line to catch the ghost it's not like he's sitting there going we could pretend to catch it or we could like, they, they catch the ghost they're like again he's willing to, to put himself on the line to save the world it's not that he's he just doesn't necessarily want to work harder than he has to one but two like that's the whole point the whole reason they started the ghostbusters is because venkman sees it as hey ghosts now really exist and you guys are crazy enough to figure out a way to make this work and i'm crazy enough to go along with it and make money it's just it's another way for me to move and not have to move in the normal circles of psychology because he wouldn't last along there so he's kind of the unwitting hero in both films except that i think in the second one i like that they take his character arc 
a little further to where he has to take accountability for being that hero. Whereas in the first one, he never really right. takes accountability. No, and, and you're absolutely right. I totally agree. Um, that's something I hadn't even thought about, but you're right. He, if it hadn't been for Venkman, you know, basically going, Hey, think of the franchise rights. You know, we're basically out on the street now because the college kicked us out. The university kicked us out. What about doing this? Cause if, yeah, if it hadn't been for him giving, putting that out there, you know, Stance would have just gone back into the private sector. You know, Egon probably would have gone and done his own thing. But you're right. It's, it's He definitely is the catalyst that keeps them together and makes this Ghostbusters thing happen. Um, and, yeah, there there is an altruism in Venkman. But, yeah, it's very subtle. And, it's and, and again, you know, thinking about it now, putting it all together as we're talking, I think it's, it's something that I think that's the true Venkman. It's just that he hides it behind this mask of smarmy, because I think he thinks that that's what works better with the world, and that's how you know he gets the things that he wants more. Um, but the funny thing about that is, is you know, for the longest time, I'd only seen Ghostbusters in four by three because I'd seen it on VHS, I'd seen it you know on, on on cable or whatever. I finally got to see it in the theaters for the first time, probably about ten years ago. And I noticed things I'd never noticed before. And one of the biggest, I laughed so hard. I, like, in fact, every time I watch Ghostbusters, I'm always seeing something new that I've never seen. I've seen it a million times. Always see something new that I've never seen before. So one of the big ones that I'd never noticed it, it ever, be, once, one, because it was off screen in the 4x3 version, but, and all, but also because it, I just never paid attention, that scene at the Sedgwick, after they catch uh, Slimer, and he, they're 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 basically haggling haggling over price with the with with the guy uh, with the hotel guy, and so the whole time I'm thinking Bankman is doing his whole car salesman spiel. But he's like he's like well he's like you know it's going to be two thousand dollars for this and then three thousand dollars for entrapment of the beast and blah blah blah. But if you notice, Egon is giving him signals the entire time. Yeah. He's doing like baseball signals. He's got and it's and it's and it's and it's all and it's fucking hilarious because the look on Egon's face. He's got this like this blank stare on his face. Like he says, and he's like he's got his hand up by his face, and he's just like he's holding up two fingers, then he holds up three fingers, like real subtle. The first time I saw that in theaters, I was laughing so fucking hard because I'd never noticed that before, and it changes that scene completely. Because at that point, you realize Egon is an accomplice, and he's a whole part. Like he's not just the the the, the big brain. Like he is in on the like he is fully in on the business venture aspect of it as well, and it's fucking great. I love Egon. I can say that Egon has been my favorite from day one, and I wish. I had a better reason, but I, I have to admit that as someone who has been wearing glasses since she was three years old, the fact sure. that there was one that wore glasses, I was like, oh, I identify with him. I got brown hair and glasses. I am totally the Egon. <laughs> and that's a, that's a great thing. That's, I mean, that's like whatever works. I mean, that's, that's one of the best things about, you know, falling in love with movies is being able to identify with the characters. Well, I would say I think that's something Ghostbusters does have. And one of the things that I love about Ghostbusters is that it is kind of this collection of oddballs. Yep. I mean, Venkman is not some, even though he seems cool and funny, he's also just not nobody else in the movie likes right. Venkman. And so it's it's obvious that Venkman's kind of like he's he's kind of an outcast. Obviously, Spangler and Stance are complete nerds, but in their own different ways, and they're completely outcast. Like they're they're shunned from most normal society. 
but they are still pretty confident in themselves even. And that's the one thing I loved about it. You had these typical nerd um, mm-hmm. stereotypes, typical outcast stereotypes, but all of them are supremely confident in their ability and knowledge. And just kind of, even though like it's one of the reasons I remember loving Egon is not just because he's the smart one, but he does. I mean, you notice that when they're buying the firehouse, like the, 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 the uh, old firehouse and both uh, Venkman and Spangler are walking through and they're doing that whole thing about, and you can see Spangler starts going on about the wiring right, and right, you right. can tell they're trying to knock off the price. And then Stance just yeah, completely ruins that. Absolutely. <laughs> by coming down yeah. the fireball. No, and you know what? Oh, go ahead. But again, Oh no! I was just gonna say again, like they're all they're, they're all kind of supposed to be these losers, but they don't realize that. And having that as a kid, when you feel like you're an oddball or like a different or a nerd or a loser at points, to see these guys who were that way but never let it get them down, never acted like it, and just went on to become heroes is kind of inspiring. No, there's a big difference when you're a loser with confidence. Yeah, <laughs> be no. it you know, be it yes, like blind yes. confidence or not, when you're a loser with confidence makes all the difference. Yeah. You, at that point yes, you own that absolutely. Shit, it's just like like look, this is just who I am. Um you you know I I'm gonna say within the span of just like the past ten minutes, Mary, you actually redeemed Venkman in my eyes completely in that first film because I never thought about it like that before. But you're right. He is an outcast on his own. He is an outcast in the fact that you know he, uh, the real Venkman, and and is 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 somebody who probably you know couldn't get a date to save his life. He, you know he he basically you know everything he's done in his life is has been a has been a, a mask. Has been something he's put on, you know, to try to win people over. That's the whole reason why he's got the whole car salesman kind of shtick going on, because he doesn't know like like like. I mean, obviously, it's not something they've ever delved into, but it's it's a different way of looking at, it, at him, and it makes the things that he does in the movie not really sympathetic. But you're like, okay, I get it. You're you're putting this on as an act because you don't know how you don't know how to be yourself. And again, Dana helps break down those walls, especially in the second one. You know, when when you know he finally you know was like when she brings Oscar into the picture. But wow, I hadn't even thought about that because you know I just I just never thought of Venkman as a as an outcast. But I think you're right. I think he secretly is as well. He just he his his approach to 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 getting to dealing with it is just different. He puts on the smarmy, you know, kind of kind of uh, uh, oily kind of you know car salesman kind of thing, and it's which is interesting because if you think about it now, that puts Winston in a completely different light too. Because Winston is really isn't really an oddball at all. He's just a working man. He just shows up, like you said, for a paycheck. So again, the grounded one of the three. The other three are completely like space cadets. And then you have this other guy come in and go, what the hell you guys, we just, let's just do this thing. Like, like, you know, let, let, it's a job. It's a nine to five, man. Come on, let's go. So I, I love that, Mary. I love that you brought that out. Um, it's a really good point. I also feel like, and Vankman, I don't think would ever admit this, but he knows that he is not as smart as Ray and Egon. So he has to compensate with the personality that he right. has. Yep. Yes, I definitely think I think what you get there is that he knows he's not as smart on the technical, scientific, creative end, but he is he does get Mm -hmm. people. And I think that's why it's like Venkman knows he's an outcast, too. And I think that's partly I don't think Spangler and Stance really know that they're outcasts. Like they don't see themselves that way. Venkman does. 
And I think that's where you see that kind of, because he's aware of it and he's aware of how society looks at him and Spangler and Stance, he, you can see it. He either tries to win them right. over if they're women or to prove something of value, or he, what is it? He, he's a yeah. mean, he's, he's a jerk to so many people for no reason. Yeah. Like, even Peck doesn't come in right. acting like a jerk at first. Spank, uh, uh, Venkman makes him into one because he just treats right. him immediately like he's going to be a jerk. Now, granted, we all fit. I think right. Peck would have always been that way. And I think Venkman kind of knew that and which is why he immediately starts off defensive. But you can see it. He does it with him. He does it with anybody he meets who he feels is judging him. He immediately goes, well, fine, I'll make it a self-fulfilling yeah. prophecy. I'll make you hate me. They're saying, I'll give you a reason to hate me. So it's it's because I am doing it and not you're judging me for being an outcast. I mean, that's probably way more character depth <laughs> than they want in Ghostbusters. <laughs> As I'm saying, I'm know, reading though. a little too think, much into it. I think it, you're right. You like, I, think, I think we just blew it wide open. Because, you know, because if you think about it, like there's, there's little, <laughs> if you think there, there's little scenes that kind of to kind of showcase that. Like for example, you're talking about how you know Venkman knows that he's not as smart as the other two because clearly, like the the way you know the way Peck just calls him, you know, you know, Mister Venkman or whatever, you know, uh, you know, it's 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 almost clear that Venkman probably cheated his way into his degrees. He probably didn't really like earn those degrees honestly. You know, it was all about, and again, he, you know, he did it to get chicks. Like he's, you know, but, but even like the, in the, in the Ghostbusters too, when he's making fun of Egon, he's like, you know, I bet you, you know, uh, chicks dig that big cranium in yours. And he's like, actually they're interested in my epididymis. The look on Venkman's face, the look on his face where he realizes that, that Egon just fucking made him feel stupid. Like he's just like, like, cause he didn't have a comeback for it. Like Egon actually got one over on him. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think, uh, for Venkman, it's uh, I think he's he's got low self esteem and he's overcompensating with this huge ego that really isn't real, but it's something. And again, Dana Barrett actually helps him break through that, and he kind of like he like he can't get rid of it completely, but he knows how to balance it a little bit better, especially by the second film. Now at this point, it's almost like he's doing it kind of as a joke, like like he knows that everybody knows what he's really like, and he's just doing it more as a goof than anything else. Um, but my God, we just blew open Ghostbusters. I think in a way that this is, is amazing. See, this is why I wanted to do this freestyle because of shit like this, and this is fucking great. I love you, ladies, to death. That's amazing. Um, so I, I want to, if, 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 unless we have anything else to talk about as far as Ghostbusters, I kind of want to shift gears and go over to the animated series for a bit because that was the next thing to come out of the property. The um, only thing, the only thing left, I want to say, and just have it out there and I've said it before on my podcast without hesitation without having to think at all Ghostbusters is my number one Desert Island all-time favorite movie and has been like that's you know I've got a top five and I number one is Ghostbusters hands down has been for years and I know that number two uh Ghostbusters 2 is not as regarded as high which is fine it happens with sequels but Ghostbusters 2 lands firmly in my number three spot. So, I mean, I have so much love for these movies. Sure, absolutely. And it's that's perfectly fine. Like, I get that. Like, Ghostbusters is in my top five because it's it's a perfect, it's almost a perfect film. You don't really get that very often in cinema. But, like, I, 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 I have a hard time finding any flaws in that movie at all. It's, it's, it's perfectly plotted. It's perfectly acted. It's got great writing. Uh, it's got great action sequences. The comedy is solid. The, the scary parts are solid. Like, it's got a great villain. It's, it's, every, it's, it's balanced really well. 
like, yeah, I could totally understand that being the movie you, you would, like, if you had one film to watch on a desert island, I, I, I would almost say the same thing. Because um, it is, it's the perfect little film. It's, like, again, it's lightning in a bottle. Like, you can't, there's no way that all the pieces could have come together that perfectly ever again. And, and obviously, they, they really haven't yet. So, um, but yeah, that's, the Ghostbusters is just, uh, is, is probably one of the best films uh, ever made. I will go ahead and say that boldly. Uh, I think Ghostbusters is one of the best films ever made. So, uh, anybody wants to fight me on that, they can. I, I feel like two people that muscled their way onto a podcast because they needed to express their love for the yeah, movie no, is not going to argue so. with you. I on didn't that. think so. <laughs> so we, so that was 1984. the The Ghostbusters movie came out, and there would be a couple more years before we'd really see anything more. I mean, obviously there was the there was the Nintendo game that. You know, it was really, oh really awful. Um, <laughs> covered by the angry video game nerd uh, in an episode. It was just, it was a really horrible adaptation. Um, there really wasn't much else that was going on with the franchise until I think what 1986, 1987. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 1986. 1986. Yep. I think is when the cartoon yep, came the out. The real Ghostbusters came out, and I'll, I'll, to backtrack a little bit, um, to, to just to set this up, a lot of people probably already know this, but for those who don't, um, so Ghostbusters originally was a filmation production that came out in like the the 70s um it was a live action show um that basically uh was about two guys and a gorilla that fought ghosts um and so basically you had uh when when the movie came out um columbia pictures and and ivan reitman uh basically and, and dan Aykroyd went to filmation and said hey we would like to license the name for for your old show you're probably not going to use it anymore. Filmation was like, yeah, whatever. And so Ghostbusters became the film. Now, right before the real Ghostbusters, because of the popularity of the first film, Filmation was like, hey, we can make some money off of this. We can we can ride this wave. And so they made a cartoon called Ghostbusters, which was basically kind of a pseudo-sequel to the original. It was basically the offspring of the characters from the original live-action show. Um, it was basically them and Tracy the gorilla, uh, basically fighting ghosts. Not a bad, not a bad cartoon on its own. But when you're like, when you're like 12, 13 years old, and you see Ghostbusters in the TV guide at like three o'clock in the afternoon, and you're like, oh my god, I want to see Ghostbusters, and you turn on TV and you see that, you're gonna be a little, you're gonna be a little pissed, because um, <laughs> you're like, what the hell is this shit? What's this gorilla doing here? What's going on? Um, but luckily enough. Um, uh, you know, basically the powers that be said, Hey, let's, let's go ahead and do an animated version of the film. The real Ghostbusters came out like almost immediately after the filmation version and it became a huge hit. There were two different versions of it. There was a Saturday morning version and a weekly version. Um, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm sure Jackie, I, I have the time life, uh, collection that came out like 20 years ago or 15 years ago where it's in the firehouse box has all the seasons, like even including Slimer and the Real Ghostbusters when it totally went to shit after that. <laughs> but the, that animated series, like that's probably one of my favorite animated series of all time. Um, so uh, yeah, I definitely want to jump into this on, on that now and just talk about that. Basically, you know, some of the differences, um, you know, basically uh, how it compared to the film. And of course, eventually we're going to, you know, talk about how it, you know, uh, influenced the, uh, the second movie. Um, 
But, you know, feel free, either one of you, to jump in and just kind of give us uh, just, you know, anything you want to talk about as far as the animated series is concerned. Okay, I'll jump in. And I will say that I agree. One of my favorite cartoons. Um, also, when... Uh, Something as, as as a horror podcaster, something I get asked a lot is, you know, like, why horror? You know, do you like to be scared? Is it the adrenaline rush? Like, that kind of question. And to be honest, horror movies don't scare me. Like, I'm not one of those people that, quote unquote, likes to be scared. I'm not scared by horror movies. I can't really think of a movie recently, like in my adult life, that has scared me. But obviously, when you're a little kid, certain things scare you. And I can tell you that one of the first things that I always call to memory when I think about like, oh, as a kid, that scared me was an episode of the real Ghostbusters. And it was <laughs> it was in the first season. And it was the boogeyman from the boogeyman cometh. He yep. now again, a little backstory, um, because if you look him up, which I encourage everyone to Go online right now and look up the real Ghostbusters boogeyman. So he's got little, you know, hooven legs and he has this like suit jacket on and he's got this giant head with these big ears and this hair. I have uh, lived in New Jersey my whole entire life. And one of our urban legends is the Jersey Devil. And Devil. there oh. is an illustration in, in one of the many books I have about the Jersey Devil and have seen, you know, my whole life. There is an illustration that looks very similar to the boogeyman. So I think that's also playing into why it's so scary to me. But wow. even looking at it now, that character, the way that he spoke, the way that he moved, how they drew him was absolutely frightening. And when I, I actually watched a couple episodes, just, you know, random episodes through the seasons um, in preparation for tonight. And I realized like, there are a ton of really scary characters. The boogeyman is the number mm -hmm. one for me. But there was also sure. this character called the Grundle, which was fucking yep. frightening. The Sandman is, yep. you know, pretty much frightening. Um What's the the pumpkin guy? Oh, uh, Samhain. Sam Hain. Sa or Sam Hain, Sam yeah. He's, yeah, they call him Sam Hain. He, like, they drew some really fucking scary... I'm sorry, can, I did. can say fucking, yeah. Um, yep. I just realized that. Uh, like, what was... There's one episode where, like, there's these, like, rival clans of vampires fighting each other. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I remember, like, the red eyes of the vampire. I don't know. Like, this cartoon did what it was supposed to do like it was it had plenty of slapstick uh comedy to it but when it came to the horror elements of this cartoon it i mean it still works it's a show that i still sit down and watch and i am still entertained by and it's still like i said that boogeyman episode like i will never forget like going into my room at night and i would have to check my closet thoroughly i would check under my bed you know, I had like a little chair, like table with like a tea set on it, check behind the chair, like any possible place that the boogeyman could hide, I would need to check before I went to bed. Because if I didn't, and I turned off the lights and got into bed, I was so sure that my closet door was going to open and I would hear the, the, the boogeyman come out of my closet. Oh, man. Yeah. That's awesome. 
That's you know, it's cool. It's funny that you say that too, or, or it's good that you say that too, because um, the 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 thing, the great thing about the real, the real Ghostbusters, and I, I remember when I first watched it, or when I first saw it, I was a little put off by the the character designs because I'm like, what the hell, a blonde pompadour and Egon? Yeah. What is this about? Like, why? What is going on? Why do they all have different jumpsuits and everything? I mean, obviously, they explained it all later. And to be fair, the uh, the 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 OCD in me was very happy they explained it later because it definitely made it easier to accept afterwards. Like like these are the re- like again the real Ghostbusters. The movie that we saw was a movie based on them with these actors. Um, but you're right. They the show was really good about balancing. Like you had some really really great episodes, and you have you have really amazing writers on the show, like J. Michael Straczynski. You know who went on to do like uh, like Babylon Five and 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 all and you know went on to, to write for like Spider Man, uh, you know the comic books and everything. Really amazing writer, really great showrunner. Straczynski was one of the head writers of the show, and so he put a lot of really great effort into this. You had an episode about Cthulhu, which you never like no no animated series ever really tackled a Cthulhu storyline before. The Collect Call of Cthulhu is another great uh, episode. I mean, obviously you had some really weird ones, some ones that just were kind of strange. Um, I do remember the one where I think it was, I don't know. I, I don't remember the one with the, the I think it was, it was a vampire clan and a werewolf clan that was the, that were in a small town. They were fighting each other. And at the very end, you find out that when they bite each other, they turn into these weird hybrids. Um, so like a werewolf would bite a vampire and the vampire would like start sprouting fangs or sprouting fur. But then a vampire would bite a werewolf and the werewolf would like suddenly sprout wings. And the Ghostbusters was like, well, uh, we can't do anything about this. And so they just left and just left them to fight each other. It was kind of funny. But for every, like, weird... Oh, or the, the Dopey Dog episode, where the, the like, Ray Dance's favorite cartoon character, Dopey Dog, comes to life. Um, there were some really weird, just, just cheesy episodes. But for every cheesy episode, you had a great episode. Like, Sam Payne came back a million... Like, about three, four times in the, in the history of the show... Same thing with Sandman. Like they knew the characters that really that the kids really loved, and they kept bringing them back. Sandman, you know, Grundle. Like it was, and so, you know, a really a lot of really great writing. Um, unfortunately, you know, you had to have Slimer as a mascot, which Trzinski hated writing for Slimer. He hated the fact that you know Slimer was there for the kids because he didn't want to talk down to the kids. Um, in fact, eventually Trzinski would leave the show because of shit like that. Um, but, it, it, yeah, it ended up becoming one of my favorite shows. And the fact that you could watch it during the week and on the weekends on Saturdays made it something very special and unique indeed. Um, and, Mary, you haven't waited. Have you, have, you, have you seen the animated series at all? I, I have, actually. I haven't seen it in a very long time. Um, I remember Grundle. I remember the Boogeyman. I remember the Dopey Dog episode. Um, it's funny that you say I remember, and I feel like now if I rewatched it, I would absolutely hate Slimer. But as a kid, I loved Slimer in the animated series. And I think one of the reasons why I liked Slimer in the animated series was because every other ghost is shown to be bad. And Slimer was like almost showing that like, not all ghosts are bad. Did I'm saying like, he's not, he's mischievous. He's, I guess, chaotic neutral. If you had to make an alignment for yeah. Slimer, like he's, he causes trouble, but he's not mean. He helps them on occasion. He just does his own thing. And he's one of the only ghosts to do right. that. Like Sam Hain. I think, was it this one? Or I know there was another animated series after this that didn't have the original characters. I think they had new yep, people or something that had like, okay. And they had, I don't remember if the original Ghostbusters, I, I don't want to get the two confused, but I remember, I think in the extreme Ghostbusters, they had like 
almost like ghost bosses that like led the different types of ghosts. And I don't know if that was also in the, uh, the real Ghostbusters animated series. I can't remember, but those like, again, they, they had these different, like and they were all bad. They were all causing trouble. They were all working against the Ghostbusters. Whereas Slimer was like, to me, just showing that you're like, not all ghosts right. are, are evil. Not all ghosts are, 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 are bad people or I guess spirits. <laughs> there are some that are just, that are just there and possibly possibly you might be glad they're there because they can help you out on occasion. Um, I, I will say this. I did want to talk about what I do remember about the real Ghostbusters is I'm pretty sure um, Arsenio Hall did the voice of, of Winston one for a while, right? Yep. Okay. I, I remember and then, that. And then didn't the guy from Full House also do the voice Bankman. of one of them? So, um, of Bankman? First couple of seasons, it was Lorenzo Music who was the voice of Garfield. Uh, and then he was replaced by Dave Coulier because Dave Coulier could do kind of a, a Bill Murray impression, uh, which I didn't think was really all that good. I actually liked uh, Lorenzo Music. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I think Buster Crab took over for Arsenio Hall as Winston in the later um, seasons. But, you know, the funny story is Ernie Hudson tried out for Winston and they turned him down. <laughs> Why? That seems so like that seems so yeah, dumb. I don't know. <laughs> like they were just like, nah, you're not what we're looking for. We're looking for something else. And then Arsenio Hall got the job instead. And then of course you had Maurice Lamarche, uh, who's the voice of uh, Brain from Pinky and the Brain. He was the voice that he, he yeah, was John. And of course, oh, he's done. A, he's Futurama. Yeah. He's got yeah, a yeah. ton. Absolutely. Yeah. Like and then and of course Frank Welker is Ray. Uh, Ray Stance, the heart of the Ghostbusters, uh, had a really good cast uh, in. You know, it's funny. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I lost my thought of trains. Um, but yeah, it, it's, you're, you're absolutely right, though. Arsenio Hall did do the voice of, of Winston. And uh, and and yeah, um, Dave Coulier was basically there during the latter part of the series. And I love the, the anecdote of Lorenzo Music voiced Bill Murray's character in Ghostbusters, but he was also known for Garfield. And then... Right. Bill Murray did the voice of Garfield Bill Murray. in the movie. Garfield. Right. It's cyclical. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's 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 such a weird it's such a weird thing. Um but yeah, the the show definitely like I said in the first the first couple of seasons um were really really good. I mean obviously there were some bad episodes and some good episodes. Rzinski, you know, basically gave us a lot of really great episodes. There was there was a lot of other writers who gave us good stuff as well. And then you get to like what the the fifth season uh was it the fourth or fifth season and then suddenly there's a huge uh shift in tone there and uh if i remember correctly uh there's a if if you ever mary we're gonna have to sit down at some point and we're just gonna have to watch some episodes i have the box set we're just gonna sit down and watch some episodes at some point um but the nice thing about the box set is that it also um has interviews with a lot of the different people that were involved straczynski being one of them and uh, he mentions that the reason why he left was twofold. Um, one, uh, he was really getting tired of the way they were trying. They were tr starting to treat Winston. Uh, he said he remembers going into a board uh, a boardroom meeting, a writers' room meeting, or whatever, and they're talking about you know, well, we need to kind of simplify the characters a little bit more. We, you know, I think they, they thought they were they were too complex for the children, which is dumb. Um, and Trzyski always thought that from the beginning, he's like, we don't, we shouldn't have to talk down to the children. They're smart. And, um, so they were like, so, so Peter is the, is, is the sarcastic one. Ray is the, the passionate one. Egon's the smart one. And Winston is the driver. Uh. And Trzyski's like, excuse me. 
He's like, there's more to Winston than that. And they're just like, well, no, we're just, he's just the driver. And so that was the first thing that Matrix is going to go, mm, I don't know if I want to be a part of the show anymore. And then the other thing was the transition from it becoming the real Ghostbusters to Slimer and the real Ghostbusters, where it was going to be little 15 minute segments of different things. You'd, you'd have a ghost, you'd have a Ghostbusters kind of short. Then you'd have a Slimer short. And of course, the Slimer short was more simple, simplistic in its animation style. It basically, they brought in kids. And at that point, Trzyski is like, well, fuck this, I'm out. <laughs> so, and of course, Janine made this huge transition in character as well. They even addressed it in an episode where she went from being like punk rockish, which I thought, I had a huge crush on her as a kid, to suddenly becoming like the den mother of the group. She They grew, they grew her hair out, they gave her longer dresses, they made her like this whole den mother style. And it was just, it became just a weird thing. And, um... Yeah, and I, I pretty much stopped watching once it became Slimer and the Real Ghostbusters. I just, I just couldn't. I, I was there with Straczynski. I was like, mm, this isn't hitting, this isn't hitting my buttons anymore. It's, it's too childish at this point. And I was already into, I was already like a teenager at this point. So I was like, eh, I'm done. Um, but anybody else want to weigh in on that? Because that's, you know, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting uh, piece of history. You know, the way it transitioned like that. I think the I think the interesting and again it, it's tough for me because I don't remember it as well. It's been a very 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 long time sure. since I've watched it, but uh, I, I I imagine a lot of that probably has to do with the change in times. Sure. I've noticed that with kids shows, like again they'll they'll adjust more to fit those sociological shifts and trends than adult shows will because kids move so fast and and you are constantly shifting into a new audience or your and parents are a little more. Again, paying more attention. One, one set of parents might be more okay with the punk rock aesthetic, whereas the next set of parents might go, I feel like that sets a bad example for kids. I feel like kids' shows are sometimes more difficult to balance with regards to that. But again, I haven't seen it in so long. So we will have to watch, sit down and watch some Absolutely. episodes because I remember. Absolutely. But I do not remember. Uh, yeah, but I do not remember exactly what... Uh, like the details right. enough to, to get and, into and it. I, and I think you have, I think you have something there too. Cause if I remember correctly, cause I think I just watched a video about this the other day. It was, uh, I think it was toy galaxy, uh, which is a really great YouTube channel. Um, Dan Larson, uh, is the host of it. He talks about toys. He's really, really avid. Uh, he was going on about a couple of, uh, animated properties that, uh, in the late eighties, early nineties. And if I remember correctly, he was talking about how, during that time period, there was another transition because there's 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 been you know in children's programming there's all these huge transitions in the early 80s, um, you know there was the there was the um, uh, the laws that got passed that basically said you know you couldn't use a cartoon to sell toys and la yada yada and so in every like several years I think the the censor boards or whatever basically go back and revisit those and basically update them and I think there was another transition right around that time right around the late 80s early 90s where they were once again going. We need to redefine uh, how children's programming goes, and here are the rules for and against. Here's what you can and can't do, and I think that was I think that's one of the reasons why the Ghostbusters end up uh, you know basically transitioning the way they did. Now that said, I was a huge avid fan. Uh, and, uh, like I got the toys, like the Ghostbusters action figures. The real Ghostbusters action figure line was a huge hit. I think Kenner put it out. Um, a uh, really great uh, line when it first started. Having Ghostbusters figures, even if they were modeled after the animated series, was fucking amaze balls. I had all four of the, the Ghostbusters. I had a bunch of ghosts. I still have a couple of my of uh, the original ghosts. I have the the purple one where the eyeball pops out still. Um, 
the the ghosts themselves were amazing because they some of them were modeled after the TV show, some of them are brand new. Um, just an amazing uh, toy line, um, and uh, something that just like was, it's it's it really helped sell the brand. Um, I don't know. Did, did you ever have any of the? Oh toys yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I want to agree with you. Toy Galaxy is one of my favorite YouTube channels. I, I watch that one all the time. And he actually, uh, Dan actually has a, an episode about the real Ghostbusters. Um, when it comes to when it comes That's to the right. Kenner toys, uh, again, my older brother had them. I had them. I still have. Um, I have a Ray. And an Egon of the, you remember the, I think it was like, I don't remember if it was the second or the third wave of the toys, but the fright feature ones where you like squeeze their arms and their legs and like the Ray eye pops out and and, and the whole nine. So yeah, I actually still have, um, I still have a couple of the toys. I, you know, we are at a time now where 80s nostalgia is, is like the big thing and I'm at the age where yep. I'm like, yeah, that was cool and I was a little kid and now I'm a grown-up with full-time job and a paycheck. So, sure, I'll go to a toy store mm-hmm. and pay $40 for an Ecto-1, like like a Kenner, like a 1987 yep. Yep. Kenner Ecto-1. Fuck yeah, I will. Yep. Like I that's yep. it's bad too cuz there's like a vintage uh toy store that's about 20 minutes from my house. So, it's really dangerous cuz I walk in no there way. and they have like they have like an entire wall of the Kenner stuff. Like they have a ton of Star Wars stuff. They've got oh. the Ghostbuster stuff. They've got the Beetlejuice toys. Like, I, yeah, I, I, I have spent more money than I'm going nice. to admit uh, publicly on on certain toys. So, yeah, I, <laughs> it, it almost like it's one of those things where it's like if you knew then what you know now. Like, I wish I would have kept all of those toys because it would have saved me so much money at the end of the day. But yeah, I loved what else I loved is Kenner not only put out these, you know, the action figures where you could basically play an episode. I mean, that's what my brother and I did. We would sit there with all of them and we would make our own episodes of Ghostbusters happen. But then they start coming out with the you know the kids size proton packs and the 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 blasters yep. and and the pk the pke meters and the goggles and then suddenly we got to be ghostbusters i mean we those little basically those little nerf yep. pellet things that we could shoot at each other and you know we had the proton blaster yep. that had like the big foam you know beam quote unquote beam and we would just beat the shit out of yep. each other with those things yep. like it was fantastic like that was one of like like one of the more brilliant strokes on Kenner's end is that like yeah here are these toys you're going to play with but do you want to be a ghostbuster cuz now you can right yeah that was the most brilliant thing they could have ever done like i remember that was oh, man i think it was like 89 like it was right towards the end of the life of the cartoon series. I had all the I had the toys and things. I did not have any of the any of the um, uh, any of the accessories. I didn't have the proton pack or anything. But I made my own proton pack out of a cardboard box and a and a bunch of other stuff. And I went out. I was probably like, oh man, I was probably like fifteen at the time because I was like I I trick or treated until I was like fifteen years old. Um, and I think that year I went out as a Ghostbuster and uh, for trick or treating at 15. And I made my own costume, got a jumpsuit and all that stuff. And it was it was one of the one of my favorite. It was it was not really that great of a costume. And like I said, we were you know 
living in a trailer park and not really have a lot of money. So I couldn't afford to get like the, 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 the real Ghostbusters proton pack or anything. So I made my own. And, but that's the impact. Like just the, at that point, you know, the, the, the property had had this huge resurgence. It was, you know, even though there's only been one movie at that point, it became huge again. It was a big thing. Um, which I think is a really perfect uh, opportunity to transition over to the, the, the second film. Uh, because that's that's basically the reason why we got a second movie. Because that was originally... Um, I know Bill Murray didn't want to do another movie. Um, and uh, you know, and those, there was a lot of hemming and hawing from Columbia Pictures and everything. That, that they wanted to do another one because of the popularity of the animated series and the toy line. And so, and of course, Dan Aykroyd's always... Dan Aykroyd is, is the one who will always say yes to Ghostbusters. Um, but getting everybody else on board was definitely, you know, a, a harder sell. But because of the popularity of the animated series and the toy line, we ended up getting a second film. Now, the downside to that is uh, there's a lot of changes that are made that were based off the aesthetics of the animated series. Um, the The characters got toned down a little bit. There was still a little bit of cursing and stuff, but it was not nearly, uh, I wouldn't say raunchy, but it wasn't nearly as body as, as in the first film. I mean, ghost blowjobs were completely out uh, by that point. <laughs> well, it was also less dark and adult. Right. Like it was definitely, it's definitely a more family-friendly film in some ways. Yeah, Janine got a makeover that made her look more like her her animated counterpart. Um, they, you know, uh, by that point, Louis Tully had already become uh, come back as a major character in the animated series. So they brought Rick Moranis back, which which fine. Uh, Slimer became a good guy, or, or they were kind of transitioning him into the the kind of character like he was in the animated series. Um, so there was a lot of, uh, and of course, when the movie came out, you also had the animated series series was still going strong because there's even an episode that ties into the the second film, um, you know, and everything. So, but but yeah, the the second movie definitely uh, it's an underrated gem. It's it's better than most people give it credit for, but. Uh, it's definitely a weaker uh, a weaker entry for me uh, for for a bunch of reasons that we can get into here in a second. But uh, again, I didn't get to see that one in theaters either. I had to wait till it came out on VHS. Um, but I, I when I when I first watched it as a kid, I loved it. I loved uh, I loved everything about it. Uh, the score is not as good as the Bernstein score, uh, but it's still good. Uh, the soundtrack for it is 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 pretty fun. Uh, I have to jump in here. I, I agree with you. That said. The Jackie mm-hmm. Wilson song used for the oh, yeah, yeah. Um, iconic uh, Statue of Liberty scene is by far one of my favorite uses of music in a, in a movie. And I love that song. And that movie, I, I probably would have yeah. loved the song anyways, but that movie makes me love it even more. Like, I, I don't know. I absolutely love So that to me is more iconic than even the like Ray Parker Jr. Sure. Ghostbusters. When I think of Ghostbusters, I actually hear Jackie oh, yeah, Wilson. Oh, no, I... That. I agree. Like I, the the soundtrack I think is because it's updated for more of a '90s. Because uh, it came out in '89, it had more of. But it was we already transitioning into the '90s with Bobby Brown and stuff like that. No, the I'm not like the musical score. The, the orchestral score, uh, I didn't okay, think yeah. was as good as the burn scene. It, it's not as iconic. Because I mean, when you look at the 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 uh, the PlayStation Three slash PlayStation Four video game, the music they're using is the original Bernstein score, which is haunting and beautiful and 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 great. The, the the orchestral score for the sequel is more or less forgettable. I, I don't even I, I think I have the sound or the score for it somewhere. I barely listen to it. But the soundtrack, you are right. The Jackie Wilson, the Bobby Brown, um, all that stuff is is top notch. It's 
you know, it's really, really, uh, I agree. I, you know, it's, this, there's the difference between the two. Um, but yeah, that's, Ghostbusters 2, I, I really, really love Ghostbusters 2. I have my issues with it. It's definitely more of a flawed film than the first one. But, um, but it, it's not as bad as people make it out to be. It's, it's, especially when it's coming off of, it's coming off of the charms of the first film. You can't go wrong with it. It's not like it's, it, it completely shit the bed, which it did not at all. So, again, this uh, Ghostbusters 2 is still within my top five all-time sure. favorite movies. I love this one. Um, so, I remember seeing this in the movie theater. We, as a family, my, my mom, my dad, my brother, myself, we go to the movies to see Ghostbusters 2. And I don't – I can't say that I remember doing that a lot. I'm sure I went to the movies a lot as a kid, but I, I remember – because this was going to be the first time I see Ghostbusters on the big screen. You know, like you right. said, at this point, I, you know, we rented the movie all the time. We're watching the cartoon. We're playing with the toys. But now I get to go to the movies. I get to have popcorn. You oh, know, yeah. like I, I get the whole experience. I get to see them on the gigantic big screen. Oh, yeah. And from like the word go, I'm like, I remember being slightly disappointed because the movie starts five years later right. and the ghostbusters are kind of like non-existent anymore so like right. i remember having instant disappointment of being like wait like where's the ghostbusters like why like why aren't the ghostbusters ghostbusting right and right. I, you know as the movie i'm just like you know seeing slimer on the big screen it's insane you know i'm i'm like eight years old at the time this movie coming out. And so like all these big things are happening. I'm going to agree with you, Mary Vigo fucking scary. Like he, he went, Oh yeah. God, at the part where he's like kind of being taken out of the baby because they're lifting him up and his like, Oh, yeah, yeah. oh God. But yeah. so here's, here's the most memorable thing about me seeing that movie in the movie theater is this. I don't even remember at some point during the movie. I look over at my brother and like he's smiling and you know we're both in awe and I look to the other side of me and my mother is fast asleep and I was <laughs> oh. like what is your pro like it blew my mind I'm like you're in a movie theater you're watching Ghostbusters 2 how on earth could you possibly be sleeping through this and I mean <laughs> granted now as an adult like I'm not gonna lie I could see how one maybe would fall asleep in a movie theater, but but it like no. absolutely blew my mind that I'm like, you know, I'm sorry, do you know you're watching Ghostbusters 2? Because you're watching Ghostbusters 2 right now, but you fell asleep. Like it, I, I, I don't even remember what her explanation was. Like, she, you know, she's a grown up. Grown ups fall asleep, can fall asleep wherever. And especially when you've got two kids, two young kids, you're going to fall asleep whenever, wherever. But it blew my mind. But I... <laughs> I remember walking out of the movie theater and being like, yeah, okay. Like I know, yeah, that's my favorite movie. Like that's, that's, and, and maybe I didn't get all the jokes. I'm sure a ton of it went over my head. Um, I think that Peter McNichol made that movie. Oh yeah. yeah, uh, yeah right? Amazing. Yeah. And, and honestly, I like, it was it was uh, Janos's lines that my brother and I, quoted from oh, yeah. from that moment to the rest of our lives like that what? we <laughs> my brother would wake me up he would wake me up by going woo 
and like would woo <laughs> until I woke up. And when I woke up, he would go, oh, but they wooed. Like we did oh, that all the time. All we would do is, is, is quote, is quote Janos, like constantly above probably all of the other lines of the movie we would quote peter mcnichols lines his performance in that movie is is it's bananas and i love 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 him in this movie 